Welcome to tonight's special event to the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our host this evening, co-founder of lastminute.com and may.com, Brent Hoberman. Hi, thank you. I'm just moderating, so um, we're going to start by everyone introducing themselves. So, Daniela. Hi, I'm Daniela Cecilio, and I'm the CEO and founder of ASAP 54. ASAP uh, 54 is an application that enables you to search for fashion by using an image, and it also has a social network. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jose Neves. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Farfetch.com, um, which is a um, destination where you can find and shop um, boutiques all over Europe um, and US. Hello, I'm Joe Elvin. I'm the editor-in-chief of Glamour magazine, and that incorporates, obviously, Glamour.com. Great, thank you. Um, so I think you know one of the key themes obviously for today is fashion discovery and how do people discover fashion. Um, Joe, you I guess glamour. I, I'm not I guess in your target demographic probably, but so I I probably don't read it as much as I should. That's no? hugely I? disappointing. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I have to get you a subscription. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll take yeah. any. I'll I'll take one. Um, but you know, but but clearly, fashion discovery and you guys are a very influential voice in in the fashion industry. And how do you think about how people discover fashion through your magazine and through your website, and then go on to buy? Yes. Um, Unsurprisingly, we do an enormous amount of research on this. Um, as a company, my company, Condé Nast, incorporates Vogue, GQ, Glamour and other titles. And we spend a lot of time working out exactly how they use our pages. Um, and consistently, I mean, I've, I've worked at Glamour for mm, years now, and every single kind of survey that we've ever done where, you know, we do these sort of like big national surveys um, once every 18 months where we talk to about five, 10,000 readers at a time, be that Vogue, Glamour. And consistently, um, the number one influence on their fashion purchases remains uh, word of mouth between them and their friends. And very, very close second to that remains uh, print magazines. So that's really interesting for us. And I think it's because, you know, fashion has become so big and so unwielding, like an ever-expanding universe of product and voices and information that something like Glamour, you know, a market-leading magazine, is where people just want that editing. They don't want to be told what to wear, but they want ideas and they want somebody to put a frame of reference around it. And that's where magazines and their websites come in. And I mean, how do you think about, you know, the websites uh, and actual e-commerce websites and leading people into them? So. How much of that do you now do? Condé Nast once did, did, a, did a meta search, uh, maybe it still does, um, for e-commerce e sites. But are you, do you push people a lot? Do you, are you an affiliate for sites? or? Uh, not really at the moment. I, mean, I know we've got some investments in some you know, e-commerce sites and all those sorts of things. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> but um, I can't pretend to be privy to the upper echelons of strategy going forward for e-commerce because, you know, at the end of the day, we are a magazine company. Um, and I think that for something like Glamour, again, that's really, uh, to me as a consumer, that's so important. I love shopping online. I think that anybody who knows me knows I'm a voracious online shopper. Um, but I'm not sure if that's driving why people buy magazines. So I think that where... 
I don't know. I think it has to be at a point where it's completely seamless for, as an editor, for me to be interested in, in using the magazine that way. Great, thank you. Um, so, Daniela, you've obviously just launched, um, and ASAP54 just launched, and helping people discover fashion on mobile in a different way. So tell us about it. Exactly, yes. We, we launched it on the 28th of uh, February, and, uh, and what ASAP does is enables you to take a picture of an item and help you to find something similar to shop online based in color and texture. And of course, we're not betting everything on technology because as far as technology goes, it can fail sometimes. So we also have some human refinement to it. So the idea is if you, the user is not happy with the results they get, so then you can speak to a personal styling and the personal stylist will go uh, beyond the technology and will search manually in your behalf and for help you to find the item or something similar available for you to shop online. Um, and then it's also there's a social network where you can share with your friends your discovery and then you can also follow and see what your friends are searching and discovering and then you can shop everything that you see. For the first time a fashion, uh, um, a social network that allows you to one click shop from various websites and brands as well. We have at the moment over 150 websites, including Farfetch, Netaporte, Topshop, and many others. Great. Were there, were there many websites who didn't want to work with you? Um, no. No? <laughs> no. Okay. So far, we've been able yeah. to sign all of them. Yeah. And has, ha, has the data, it, has it been what you expected? Has it changed? Has people's behavior in these early days been how you expected it, or any surprises? Um, uh, I think the surprise was I thought people would use the technology to actually try to find item. So take a picture of an item itself and try to find the same item. But picture people are using the technology, taking picture of furniture and trying to find something that matches the color, taking pictures of painting and then and landscape and trying to find items that would match with that. So I think it, it became more playful than I would expect it to be. Great. Um, Jose, how are people discovering your website and has it changed since you launched? I can't remember how many years ago since you launched, but have you seen any distinct behavioral changes in how people are discovering the site? Uh, so you? we launched in 2008 um, and I, I'm a big believer that we live in an age that people will use the best tool for the best need or function. Um, so, you know, I'm a big believer that there's a big, big future for print, there's a big, big future for proper journalism with, with an uh, authoritative you know, voice, um, as there is a room for um, user-generated content, sites like Pinterest, sites like Instagram, um, you know, sites, uh, well, apps like um, ASAP. So I think, I think it, the, the world will, be, will continue to be, and we see that with WhatsApp, the recent transaction. I mean, Facebook already has a, a messaging uh, functionality, but they they recognize it's very public. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg came came to public saying actually two weeks before, very timely, saying that um, he saw the future as specific apps doing specific things, rather than one big Facebook app doing everything. And I think it's the same thing the way people get inspired and discover fashion. So they they may not click, uh, they may not see it in a magazine, go to the magazine's website and click through and buy it on Farfetch, but for sure, the, the, the print experience is part of the way they get you know, um, informed and the, the way they, they discover fashion. Um, in terms of actual traffic, um, uh, and not talking about 
um, uh, free channels, like people going direct or people going via our email database and all that. So in terms of paid channels, it's very concentrated on search. Um, so paid search, basically. Um, and, and also on um, affiliates. Um, but affiliates uh, that are serving a search need. So people are using these affiliates, uh, companies like ShopStyle, Polyvore, List, which is a great company here based in, uh, in London as well. Um, they're, they're using these, these websites, I think, because Google doesn't do a fantastic job in terms of fashion. Uh, and these companies do. They aggregate all the, um, the e-commerce websites. They have great filters, great e-commerce uh, you know, functionality. Um, so we, we see a massive, massive um, you know, amount of traffic through these uh, sites. Um, social media is still very, very small for us in terms of actual traffic. But again, it's important because it's part of the, of the journey. Yeah. It sounds like you're currently in a space where Google isn't dominating as much as other areas. Is that right? And is that... And I guess, do you worry that either they'll wake up, or the other trend you, you sort of alluded to, but is, is mobile now obviously a much greater percentage of your search, and is your mobile experience already optimal, or is there more you need to do? Um, no, our mobile experience is not optimal yet. Um, so we're working on, on a big, big project, which uh, we will release in two weeks, like a completely full, responsive, okay. revamped um, mobile site. Um, but it's m mobile between smartphones and tablets is already 37% of, um, of traffic. Um, so I, I really see that th there is an, an absolute need for people to have apps or solutions that you can use on a smartphone to search for fashion because there's nothing out there that is mind-blowing. So I, I think that th there is a real need for, for um, you know, a discovery and search e-commerce solution that you can use on, on your iPhone. And then arguably, and then do the economics change in a sense that a lot of the traffic one has to buy in the web-based world from Google, but in mobile, uh, you know, might the traffic actually come cheaper because Google has less dominance? We hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I think it might be. Yeah. Certainly <laughs> hope so. Yeah. Okay. Great, Joe. Um, just thinking, I mean, we've already sort of answered, you've already alluded to some of this question, sort of who, who are your customers and readers, you know, wh who, who influences their shopping decisions most? You said friends and family first. Uh, yeah, sorry, friends. Um, yeah, so friends first, I guess, um, you and celebrities later. Um, but, you know, w when you look at that word of mouth between friends, is there, would you like to be in that conversation more, or do you think you already are, or...? I think we already are because, I mean, Glamour isn't this static print title. It's a brand. You know, it's where um, we're present on Pinterest. We're present. There's uh, shopping is driving probably most of the traffic on the website. So, you know, sort of like click through galleries and which then people can click through to a website to buy yeah. this or that. Um, so, and I think that there is that what I love about uh places like Pinterest and what, what excites me about the ASAP app is the social element. And so I think that that's really important for our readers and I think Twitter's a huge part of that as well for, you know, sort of like people engaging not only um, with us but with each other and discussing brands and what they want to buy and what's cool to buy and all those sorts of things, yeah. yeah. I mean, just quickly on the role of, I mean, a related question, on the role of the editor. So, I mean, there are people who argue, and sometimes myself, even though I'm on the board of The Guardian, um, that the editor's role 
is diminishing because our friends, I guess it's so, it was sort of in the first part of the question, our friends are the editors sometimes. I, I mean, I think of, for example, when I think, uh, again, I'm not, not a great shopper, but I start thinking about news. When I want news curated for me, I want it from my friends and friends of friends. So LinkedIn becomes a better gateway for me sometimes for news than um, the editor of a, of, a, of a national newspaper. So is there a, a, a corollary in this fashion world where, in fact, I might may go to... I guess Pinterest or somewhere where I just follow the the boards of my friends um, rather than caring about what glamour tells me. No, because I think that it's always been the case that your first port of call is your friends. But uh, your friends, while um, you really want their opinion, you, they don't have the overall trusted authority of a brand. And the example of Pinterest, I, I love Pinterest. I love sort of obsessing over... That's where I get a lot of style inspiration, but I can't really shop from Pinterest. I don't. I might see a look that I like, but then I'd have to go to a shopping website, a magazine, what have yeah. you, to to find where I would actually get hold of the thing that I wanted to. And that's where a magazine comes in. Well, how do I do this? Is that actually right? My friend likes this, but you know, what what do the fashion authorities say? So I don't think that. Um, I just think that they, they exist in a, in a sort of cohesive ecosystem, really. Well, I mean, it is interesting that, I mean, Pinterest, uh, there, there's lots of people, when you invest, you think, which company you want to invest in the e-commerce, the Pinterest e-commerce for e-commerce, and then it is surprising that the Pinterest for e-commerce isn't really Pinterest yet, but the Pinterest for e-commerce, I guess, is a company called The Fancy, um, which, as I understand it, is everyone, every board pin there, you can then go and buy. So that does, I think, answer some of that, although I don't think it's yet as big. I don't know what you guys see. It, it's just... Mm, not yet, not yet. And, and they're, they're very complex logistics um, challenges um, to make you know, a, a completely open platform also shoppable. Because, yeah. for example, it, uh, sites like List, List etc., yeah. or, or ASAP, they take feeds from retailers. So, so, I, so you are, in a way, limited to the content that it generates because but that's why it's shoppable. So I don't. I think having both, having complete, you know, unlimited, you can take any picture from the web and you can post on 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 a Pinterest pod, and at the same time make that picture shoppable. That's yeah. a, a logistics nightmare, if at all possible. Because yeah. with fashion, it's perishable. After three, four yeah. months, it doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. um, how how that's one problem with Pinterest. One one of the reasons why it doesn't convert is by the time. You yeah. find some something on a on, on a board of someone, uh, it, it's out of stock, and it's not automatically automatically uh, updated. And, and it's all still that. Mm. even in that scenario, it's still not an authoritative edit. It's still, uh, you know, I think that there's, I think it's kind of a myth that you know just because all this information's out there, that's all you need. Everybody still wants that guidance, and that's where everything from a magazine to an app like yours comes in. I think. Yeah. I mean, so who do you, I mean, Danielle, so who is influencing your, I mean, it's early days for you, right? But who, who, yeah, do, you, who do you see? I think it's very early days, but I think they get inspiration. Uh, I see, so the users are taking pictures mainly from Instagram and Pinterest. So they upload, okay. so they upload images and they try to find measurable items to shop from magazines as well. Uh, and then from the friends. So, and I think also what I've seen happening for this first week, it's they liking so they liking everyone's pictures that they following and then adding a lot into the wish list as well so i think again you're right friends are you know are your editors to a certain extent 
But just to complete what, what Joe was saying, it was also uh, with Pinterest and Instagram, and my idea came especially from Instagram because it's where I get most of my, my yeah. inspiration, but it's where I get very frustrated as well because you see something and there is no action after that. And I know technology cannot solve this problem completely, but if you actually could see something and then you know, find something similar that is available to shop on that season, that would be, that's, that's our aim, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and you don't, I mean, is the idea as well that people will be taking pictures of random people in the street and then saying, yeah, this is, yeah. Exactly, but that is the scenario I think I thought people would use the most, but it's not what's happening. I think, yeah. you know, it's not very, it doesn't happen very often that you see someone that you really like what they're wearing on the streets, or if you do, oh. you feel ashamed or of taking a picture. Or in the audience here today? No, yeah, no, no one I would take a picture of a top, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But I think it's, but, so far, people have been taking pictures of from Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, magazines, yeah. more than actually live shots. Cool. Has that in influences for you? Um, who's uh, I mean, the way I personally get influenced. No, sorry, for, for, for the Farfetch customer. For the Farfetch customer. I think it's, it's a mix because, you know, uh, to Joe's point, someone has to produce high quality authoritative content. There's always going to be um, a role for that. It's a bit like us. Someone has, in terms of e-commerce, I always say someone has to buy the item, someone has to take the picture in a beautiful way, create a great description, handle the logistics, handle the payment. Someone has to do that. So, and then you have, th that's one layer. And then you have another layer, which, which is, I, I suppose, the social network layer that amalgamates all that and creates this complete, you know, random, uh, you know, uh, a set of, of content that is uh, different from user to user and that people like to, to follow. But that does not um, uh, question the, the, the existence or the need for, for who creates the, the, the base content. So I think people, we just live in a world that people have many ways of getting inspired. So get, they get inspired via print, via Instagram, via ASAP, via going bloggers going directly to websites using us as as a search tool and as a, a destination and inspiration um so it's it's a myriad of of ways and it depends on the moment in time where where you are i mean the internet didn't kill tv for example actually tv is 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 uh, is in very very good shape uh you know so so many you know a few years ago said oh tv is going to be dead right it's not the case because in some cases you just want to be there in a mind-numbing exercise and be completely yeah. served, you know, a stream of, of stuff without having to yeah. decide. So it's, it's just people have more choices and they'll they yeah. get informed in all, all sorts of ways. I mean, I just I don't know anybody who says oh, I'm just not going to use that media anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, exactly. it's, yeah, it's you, we all use everything. Yeah. But just quickly, which is harder just with, with all of you, with this mix of people sitting here, I sort of want to ask the, the, the sort of obvious question, which is, W which is harder to do? Is it the e-commerce part or is it the magazine part? And which is more vulnerable to the other? So, I mean, the obvious, you know, it was a, a, a brilliant move, if for nothing else, for Netaporto to do a magazine because everyone in the industry is talking about it, right? Because a online player doing a magazine. Um, so, I, lastminute.com did a magazine actually about 10 years ago as well, but not as seriously, not with as much purpose as, as they are doing. So, clearly... You know the idea where I guess everything is shoppable in 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 Mr. Porter in Porter magazine, right? I think is the idea. Yeah. Um, so, 
it's just so. Which which is well? How do you guys? See, how do you see from each other's perspective? How do you see each other's businesses? Is which, which is harder? I just don't <laughs> know how to answer that because I don't know how to do an e-commerce yeah. site. I think editing a magazine is quite easy. I've been doing it for twenty years, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah. I think it's two completely different metiers, and and that's what's very difficult to reconcile. Yeah, well, like I guess, so, but but we have people doing it. Right? I think ASOS have a magazine yes, too, and right? And, and, and I guess the question is, would would you launch them? Is Farfetch going to launch a magazine next week, or but is ASOS no, going to get we there will first? No, we'll never launch a, a magazine. We never bold. No, no, we could <laughs> we could launch a print exercise, call it what you want, like that reflects our brand. Now you're a politician. You're giving uh, <laughs> Could be a travel guide, for but example, or could be, but not not a glossy magazine no. in the sense of going out there and trying is to get advertisers. Is this just because Joe is sitting next to you? You're Joe. Uh, yeah, no, it's because. Say, though, it's like all e-commerce sites need editorial skill. I mean, even before Netaporte had a magazine, one of the things I like about them is it's not only is it good merchandise. Every per, every item you click on has loads of ideas on how to style it, and I quite often look at sites like that. Um, not to shop, but to think. Oh, I don't know what to do with my denim shirt today. What is, you know, how does Farfetch style the ones they've got? And so I think that you need people with that fashion skill. It's not just a retail site. So I think we've always both had transferable skills. I think. I think for us, editorial. I always say our editorial is there to um, to explain to people what our brand is all about. It's not there to sell. We don't ex we don't expect you know big conversion rate from people reading it. If we do anything print, it will be for the same reason for people to look at that and, and understand. Oh, this is what Farfetch is all about. I get yeah. it. So to help people understand the D uh, understand the DNA of the brand, yeah. because I, I think it's it's very very difficult to to reconcile to reconcile both professions, which are very very different. I mean, I I if um, companies out there crack that, great. Heads off! It you yeah. know it's, it would, cool. it will be an amazing yeah. result. I mean, I guess one other commonality between the two worlds sometimes is actually celebrity. So I mean, both we've we've seen e-commerce companies like Stylus Pick years ago go with um, Cheryl Cole as an investor. We've seen uh, uh, several in the U.S. several celebrities launch their own fashion e-commerce brands. Um, do you are you find do you think celebrity? We haven't mentioned celebrity much. It's interesting. Is it is it important? I don't know actually how celebrity applies to glamour, but I don't know, Daniela. How do you did you think about getting a celebrity spokesperson or? Not yet, but I think it it will be something. I, I hope that the celebrities will come to use the app for the social network in order to actually help the users to shop what they wearing, they looks. Uh, and also, I think that will be helpful to grow our social network and the engagement of the users. But we don't have a celebrity strategy yet. I'm just, I'm trying to to be a social network where people come and use, and celebrity will come and use as a normal user as well. I mean, do you mind people's influence online? So take us away from celebrity and just say, look, we know these people have millions of followers on on social media. We have to find a way to get to them, to bribe them, not just to get to them. <laughs> Uh, I mean, what I've seen so far is some people creating profiles of celebrities. So uh, Olivia Palermo fans just taking pictures of her looks and then trying to find similar looks already. I think we'll, um, probably our strategy will be with bloggers because I think they are also the celebrities, do you know, for fashion nowadays. So they have a huge influence. And we, we're trying to reach out to them to make sure that they use and test up and then they see to know if they can benefit from it as well. Uh, more than a celebrity. I think a celebrity will come later as soon as the social network is strong and they, and they sense that they can get a big following there, they will just, they will come and use it. Yeah. 
about Jose? For you? Or Jay? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, celebrity is such a sort of a myriad of things celebrity I mean we need celebrities to sell our magazine if I don't have a celebrity on the cover I won't sell as many and I don't see that ever changing I suppose I'm thinking about it um, I think we've we've kind of gone past the point really where you know you can sort of like just latch onto a celebrity with millions of followers to be endorsed because I think people are just really wise to it people know when they're being sold to in that really non-organic way but if you've got a celebrity who happens to wear your underground label sweatshirt and it suddenly becomes this big Instagram hit then that can be a huge influence on driving purchase in that way um, and then you've got people like Rihanna and Cara Delevingne who on a much more organic level are just really driving the agenda of what is um, being produced in fashion at the moment so I think that that's where social media has made those people so much more accessible you know they're sort of like putting themselves out there um, and becoming even more visible as famous people than perhaps 10 years ago. And it's things like that that are driving what Saint Laurent and others are doing on the catwalk, that w w which is where it all starts. Yeah. I mean, just quickly looking at uh, Goop, because I mean, you'll understand more what Goop is doing, Gwyneth Paltrow's website. Yeah. So obviously they have done, I mean, there's an interesting blend of content meets commerce. Um, and actually some capsule collections, right, that they've done with, I guess, the likes of Stella McCartney, right? You see, I'm, I'm into this fashion thing. Um, <laughs> um, you know, is, is that a, a trend? I mean, the, these more sort of capsule collections happening, and is that another trend coming? I don't know if you think it's a trend. I mean, I think Goop is an interesting one because it, it, it lives by the power of Gwyneth's brand power. You can't just decide you're going to do a capsule collection. I think she just has a... a pixie dust that lots of websites yeah. would really love i think that you know what you're buying into there is that is gwyneth's world some people love it some people hate it um but that's why those capsules are successful because they've got her personal stamp on it and and for whatever reason and i'm sure it is true but like you know people buying into that really believe that that's genuinely what gwyneth loves and i think that's quite hard to just replicate that's she's she's got she's onto us something magic there i think yeah, there haven't been many others, have they? Yeah. Kardashians, right? Or something. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> for a different market. For a different, for a different yeah. market. But, but yeah. still, yeah. Um, Jose, do you want to come in on, on this? Or uh, no? for, for us, we don't... Um, uh, we really try to stay away from um, uh, focusing or trying to um, exploit you know, celebrity endorsements um, and all that. It's very, very dangerous uh, for a high-end you know, fashion brand to be... Uh, pigeonholed and associated with a celebrity because celebrities, you know, they go up and down and they, it's, it's like brands, uh, like fashion brands. Sometimes they're very trendy, you know, a few years later they're no longer trendy. So, um, so we, we try to focus on our, our story, which is the ability of um, shopping and discovering the most beautiful stars in the world. So our celebrities are our buyers that no one knows, so they're not celebrities really. Yeah. But, um, but they, you know, that's, that's the, the, they are our heroes. And yeah. so th that's them that we try to, um, to promote and tell those stories of, you know, unknown people, but they're great taste makers and great curators of fashion. So we, we go a, a more guerrilla marketing approach. Yeah. <laughs> but then, I mean, just th th you're just drawing out a very parallel world between your two universes because if those are your key people, then they're, then they're your editors and your, cur your curators are your stars, which is, I guess, similar to in, in Joe's business. Yeah. 
I, yeah, sorry. I think I think they're just one of that. They're, they're yeah. a, a, another influence. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, I, uh, we have a couple of girls in New York that own a star called Kian Elizabeth, and they they are celebrities of their own right, and they have an agent and everything. They have CAA as an agent. I just found yeah. out. So okay. some are celebrities actually. I mean, just guess, uh, g going to the industry, you know, more generally, um, how are you seeing the fashion industry being changed by, by technology? I think uh, technology is enabling um, the, the consumer to actually find and search for whatever they want. I think it's integrating online and offline because very often you are in the store and then you're searching to see if the item is available online as well. So you don't have to carry the bag if you're going to a meeting. I think it's connecting people. It's using social media actually to get more inspiration. And it's also allowing to connect with magazines. So you buy a magazine, but you have the website and its extension. Allows you to discover new brands. I think technology, especially mobile, in my opinion, is allowing people to have the power, empowering the user to actually have uh, and to be able to find whatever they want, whenever they want. And it's very playful as well. You can do, do you know, on the streets, you can do it with your friend. I think it's more engaging than, than before. And then it's also, and it's, it's, it's the connection and the, and the experience is, is seamless as well, because then you, you're seeing something, if Instagram was ever shoppable, but in my case, everything that you see, one click away, you can shop or you can add your wish list, and you can just kind of play with different apps to do different things. So I think technology is enabling and then allowing you to, to have a power and then, and then decide what you want to do anytime. I mean, is it making fashion faster and cheaper? I don't think it's making cheaper. I think it's making um, available, which is different. I don't think it makes cheaper only, but it does make available. So, okay, we, we're based in London, but let's say someone in Brazil uh, that wants something, to, you know, wants to buy an English label that is no stocked in Brazil. They would never be able to find before because the magazines would not feature that or would feature, but there was no connection with shopping. So now they can go in a magazine, get inspiration, and then find where the item is stocked. And then the website very often will be shipping to Brazil. So I think it's, it's, it's allowing people in a very global way to find and then shop whatever they want. I mean, I know, Joe, are you finding the stories you're telling about fashion? changing much over the yeah you know. uh, definitely it was really so much happened i've just come from all the collections and you know paris fashion week milan fashion week and i think that it's the two things that stick out to me is i think it's making um consumers much more impatient and much more you know rabid in their in their appetite for wanting a fast turnover with fashion i don't know what that does to the cheapness or not but when you think of something like um you know, the Moschino show with all the sort of like the parody of the McDonald's logos. And that was a, such an Instagram hit. I think it was it was certainly the most Instagrammed show of Milan. I think Chanel's supermarket in Paris might have superseded it in in the a couple of weeks later. But then um, I went into um, a boutique in Milan two days later and it was there. It was all in the shops there, which, I've, you know, I'd never seen that before. And I think that that's what it, just trying to satisfy that demand for the new is going to be see much more of a frenzy of that sort of activity. Um, you know, I think that it's it, it, it does, does give us a lot to think about. Um, it makes it it gives us opportunities with things like our tablet editions and our mobile editions um, to tell a different story than we would in a slower monthly title. And I think that there's still fantastic stories to tell in that in terms of the way we edit and curate, but it will it, it's just a different mindset. And I think secondly, um, 
What was I going to say? I've gone completely blank. Um, <laughs> it's just, that's what I was going to say. It, it, the other thing about uh, London Fashion Week, I think, was particularly good at this, so just lifting the veil for people. So fashion has um, become more and more demystified for the general public when you can stand on Oxford Street and watch the Topshop show as it's happening, whereas before that used to be such a select crowd of people used to get to see those things. So the whole machinations of fashion and the whole knowledge of, of what's out there for consumers has, has changed immensely over the last even couple of years. And even if you're watching a show now, people are not even actually paying attention, they're just Instagramming on the spot. So it's amazing because, uh, you, you, you know, even if you don't go to see a show, you actually can follow everyone, you know, in real time or they actually sing. Well, we, ironically, we were saying in the office the other day that when you're sitting there and you're sort of like, you know, busily Instagramming this show or that show, and you look around and everybody in, this, in the Grand Palais in, in Paris, you know, 2,000 people are doing the same thing. We have to be careful. That, that's going to get boring. Everyone's going to, oh, I've seen that, seen that, seen that, seen that. So I think that it, it actually forces all media to think, well, what's our point of view on this? And I think that that's going to be the next sort of challenge is how we all do deliver that news that everybody wants, but in an original way for our audience. Um, I said you were coming there. Oh, sorry, oh. Yeah, I, I think it's um, uh, this is only the the start of a of a big, big, big uh, revolution in terms of uh, technology applied to fashion. I mean, if you look, uh, only seven percent of um, sales are actually online. Like ninety three percent happen in physical stores. Yeah. Um, so it's one of the lowest uh, penetrations in terms of um, e commerce. So if you look at you know. Uh, computers or electric equipment, the penetration is much, much higher, or travel, etc. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's completely transforming uh, the way people discover fashion, the way people consume, you know, content, be it, you know, quality content, uh, professionally produced or just user-generated, uh, but also the way people buy fashion. I mean, in the case of Farfetch, it allows for example, that boutique in Milan um, to sell to to sell the Moschino collection, which we had, um, we were one of the few sites that had it online in the, the the same day of the show, and we sold out, and we sold out to kids in Singapore, and in Hong Kong, and they were buying from these boutiques. I mean, that that would be without technology, that that would be completely um, in, impossible. So, um, and I think this is only the the beginning, and as you know, mobile now comes in as a big big trend. How's that going to change? Um, you know the the world of fashion again, and so it's it's. Uh, I think there's uh, it's, it's very difficult to predict, but it's going to be very you know uh, disruptive for sure. And just uh, in what I saw, pretty much the show, um, I had launched my app just a few days after that, and then uh, people were actually inside McDonald's taking picture of the the packaging, and then and then just applying to to jumpers and bags, and it would find exactly the same, and it was amazing to see what was happening, and it was it was pretty much like a just two days after we launched, and people actually went to McDonald's to do it. And did it work? Did it find it? Uh, did, it did find so it. So that's a good case for McDonald's <laughs> to, to prove that it was an infringement of their, of their trademark. <laughs> but it's interesting because, I mean, Moschino is a big brand, but we was, there's lots of lovely stories coming out about, um, you know, emerging fashion talent and, and smaller designers actually finding new opportunities with technology. Natalie Hartley's our fashion director and she's also a popular blogger and she started wearing a, a young British designer called Marcus Almeida blogging about it was noticed by the retailers at Matches Fashion, and that's how he got his first retail deal. So I, I like stories like that. It's, it is opening it up for people who want 
a career in fashion as well. Yeah, great. Um, I mean, the other trend, I don't know, is it, is it much of a trend? I mean, we're seeing lots of companies starting up in second-hand fashion, right? Um, renting their friends French clothes or buying either renting clothes or buying clothes from their friends or, or second-hand clothes I mean is this something that's going to change the industry a bit yeah I think that's that's a very good example that's um, you know the kind of business model that wouldn't exist without the web yeah. um, I mean you had charity shops and, and this kind of uh, but but they're very limited right because um, you know, you need to find people in the neighborhood that like the same kind of things. It, it just doesn't work. And and these consumer-to-consumer -consumer marketplaces, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be huge. Um, so you know, there's there's a number of um, business models out there coming. You know, uh, you know, almost every week there's a new business model, yeah. and I think many of many of those are relevant and they will yeah. they will stick. As as a consumer, I would say they're just giving me more. Um, uh, shopping power because yeah. I can sell my old stuff and yeah. then buy more. So that's yeah. how I use it. Right. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. okay, my wardrobe is full. I'm just get yeah. rid of these and then I can get new yeah. stuff in. So, um, I mean, what about in-store technology? Um, so, just quick. I mean, you know, yesterday I saw one of those. Um, the 3D wardrobe mirrors takes the 3D image of your body. You can see yourself in in in, in different clothes. Um, obviously, um, Burberry's and Prada have done done some interesting things in store. But is anything really changing the experience much, or is it all gimmicks? Or I, I think that um, there's there's going uh, there's going to be a lot of experimentation in terms of, of how the physical retail space um, changes uh, with with new technology and all that. But it needs to be it needs to be cool, needs to be sexy, needs to be seamless. And a lot of these solutions, they're a bit too, the, the user story is a bit too, too complicated and, and people can kind of, it's a bit like, you know, yeah. um, some, some wearables that we, we see coming out and all that, how, how people will adapt to that because fashion is, you know, it's uh, your second skin almost, so it's, it's a bit, so, but yeah. if, if they manage to crack both, like really make people's lives easier, but in a, in a sexy, seamless, you know, cool way. I think yeah. that that's uh, going to be very powerful. So let's see. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm always interested in anything happening on, on that front because we have yeah. we have a thousand retail locations in our yeah. community. So that would be great, you know, if we find these technologies and yeah. then we can help, you know, pollinize all, all these stars well, with that. So isn't one of those technologies sitting next to you? Couldn't you put ASAP 54 to recognize everything stored on? Wouldn't you be a good gateway for that discovery in store? Probably, yeah. <laughs> no, I think also, I mean, in that case, m what my technology can help as well, if you install and then you, they don't have your size, you can actually, mm -hmm. you know, ease up the argent mm -hmm. on the side. And we can also, I mean, in the future, I would like to have offline partnerships as well, as opposed to only online. So the brands yeah. that don't sell yeah. online, we could just at least inform that is available in that store, in that location, and the user can just, you know, go to the store. Because in the end of the day, I think information needs to be out there. Yeah, great. Do you want to, I think, I think or shall we see if there's some questions from the floor? Um, my first point is just speaking about the Pinterest. You're speaking about Pinterest and not being updated. Um, something that Pinterest does have at the moment is called uh, Rich Pins, which allows brands and companies to put their pins on. It updates the price when, when the website actually updates the price as well. So those technologies are going to be happening and only going to get better. And from that, like I have a multifaceted question, uh, less for Daniela, but more for the other two. Uh, what platforms are you on and how are you using them to better uh, get people to your website or what are your KPIs for those social media um, platforms? Um, so, yeah, so in terms of, of the, the, you know, reach, uh, pins, etc. Um, 
if you're a user, you're not you're not really you don't really care. So you're just pinning pictures that you find around. So and that's the major use of Pinterest is following other people that are not necessarily brands. So, uh, but you're, you're right. You know they're trying to tackle the problem, and it is possible. I mean, Fancy has has done good work on that and trying to make those links shoppable. Um, in terms of uh, we're, uh, platforms, we're uh, we're present on we're active on Pinterest, um, Tumblr, Instagram, um, and Facebook. Uh, but to be honest, is is not a big driver of uh, traffic or sales. So conversion is is very low, and the, the volume of traffic is also not not very big. But you know we feel it's it's very important because it tells the story of your of your brand. So it's a bit like new PR. Uh, the old PR was only two magazines, trying to lure people like Joe to 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 like us, uh, and, and now it's that plus you know the the, the, the those um, new media. And, and that's very important. This keeps uh, keeps being very relevant. Yeah, I'd probably have to echo that. I think the you know on a with um, limited resources, and we're we're concentrating on our website as a driver of traffic, and um, our Facebook and our Twitter. We are present on Pinterest, but I don't feel yet like it's where glamour users are coming. You know, if they, if they want to go to Pinterest, they go to Pinterest. They're not necessarily looking for us particularly there at the moment. Um, you know, we have two million plus page impressions a day on our website, so that's where we're concentrating our energy, in honesty. Great, thank you. I see a mic going there, and then Frederick there. Hi. Um, you've got uh, a one-stop shop. You've got 150 suppliers. So are you providing free, free delivery, free returns? How are you managing the returns? Is it a cost to you or the supplier? So I don't. I, I partner with them, but then the, the the shopping experience doesn't happen on my side. So I redirect people to the websites. So I partner with them, and I have the the catalog. But then I don't do the shopping experience. So I just you don't shop on my side. You I will be redirecting you to Farfetch, Netaporte, and they will all have different uh, return policies and different shipping costs. Frederick. Yes, just one question on um, just how fa fashion changing with with digital. We talked about new um, retail brands like uh, like Farfetch, new um, publishing brands. Uh, I guess no, ASAP is a form of publisher, or we have sites like Business of Fashion and these kind of things. But what about digital fashion brands, as in you know, selling digital first, as opposed to starting to sell in a store uh, and then going uh, online later? Do you see the emergence of those brands which are digital first? I mean, you have the, the spect spectacular case of ASOS, right? I mean, I think it was the first brand ever to be created completely online, with ever, without... But, uh, sorry, you know, I meant designers going online first as opposed to uh, no, retailers. So, you know, not having a more, uh, wholesale physical strategy, but just going online and, and then possibly... Uh, so you mean designers... Um, Okay, so designers like original, you know, higher yeah, end like designers, uh, like uh, exactly a brand, whether it's like uh, no, the, the next Michael Kors or the next uh, whoever. Uh, would, uh, I do think you see them starting online. I, as I think to it's uh, what ASOS did, and to a point, uh, Nasty Girl in the US, which has, uh, is also purely online. Uh, there's Bonobos as well, so there's uh, Warby Parker that started, you know, purely online and now has an offline experience. Um, I think it's a very difficult trick to pull, but it's very attractive, obviously, because, you know, obviously 
gross margins are fantastic and business model is fantastic. But, but to get that you know, traction, uh, it's very, very difficult. And I, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I certainly think that for a new designer, an online presence is essential, but maybe they need a platform um, like matches in the case of this um, new um, London-based designer or you know um, you know other other uh, retailers who really support and take the risk and already have a community and then once they have that traction it's easier to build their their online presence so it's very difficult to, out of the blue without VCs like you guys I mean if if they get some VC backing maybe maybe they can pull the the trick but I think it's also I, it probably depends on the market that that designer wants but if you want to be a luxury brand a luxury designer I think it's really interesting that in this brave new digital age um, in places like China, Russia, etc. All the massive houses like Louis Vuitton are still opening these huge stores because they understand the importance of that whole 360 experience for their customers. So I'm not sure if you can yet garner that kind of cachet and that luxury without having the bricks and mortar and the, and the tactility, to, if that's a word, to, to do that. And I'm, I'm a big believer of, uh, I, I hate the word, but I love the concept, omni-channel. Um, because I don't, I don't think people will stop um, wanting to go to physical spaces. They will continue to want, in certain circumstances and for certain experiences, they will want to go into a, a beautiful physical space and interact with a, with a human being. And I think the beauty is, is how, how do you um, leverage that with technology and not not so so it's the two models really it's the merge of online and offline that I, I really believe in and there will be and Warby Parker for example is a good example they started purely online and, and Bonobos as well and now they they found out that they need the physical experience so um, so they have now started to have also um, physical stores there's another one called Sneaker Boy as from Australia, uh, coming up with uh, with a very similar concept. So I think that's the future: is the the blend of, you know, the 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 physical experience with the online um, tools, and then let the users decide. Mm -hmm. Depends on on and uh, and I also don't believe there is an online shopper and an offline shopper. That doesn't exist. It's a it's, it's a virtual concept. You know, we we're all online offline shoppers and and consumers. So. I mean, certainly, I mean, we have made.com, which I chair is obviously in the furniture industry, but certainly we're trying to do exactly what you suggest, which is we're trying to get vertically integrated, break new furniture designers um, with a very, very small retail pre offshore um, um, re real world presence. So it's we have a showroom, but it's probably it, it, it's, it's a tiny bit of sale of the sales. And what it is, is really for trust. So it's one of the trust indicators for customers to say, yeah, they're real. Even though I think a lot of customers probably just look and think we have a showroom, they'll never even go there. It just gives them a trust. It's the same reason why we do a TV ad. It gives people some trust. So I, I, I think, yes, they both. But I think what's disruptive is people who can break through and have a different cost structure and a different model and save the customer a lot of money. And I think they can have a lower element of offline than they might do. Um, but you're right, Joe, when you talk certainly about the brand cathedrals. I get the brand cathedral, which is the big Pradas and Burberries, um, but I think it's what's in the middle that is, is more debatable. So we've got a question at the back. Hi there. Sorry, last uh, question. Um, just like the echo of the last conversation, uh, I thought it was really interesting that um, we're talking about the transition between the uh, physical and digital world, uh, especially for fashion tech. Um, 
So uh, I guess it, to, to, to bring it in context, uh, um, we're launching a site called Scarlet of Soho, uh, which is actually an amalgamation of uh, Wabi Parker in the States, and uh, where we provide designer quality eyewear for 97 pounds. And in this case, just as uh, you pointed out earlier, um, you know, 93% of the market is offline. Uh, every, a, a big part of it buys in brick and mortar stores every day. So coming back to fashion uh, and fashion tech in this instance, uh, all of us here are very familiar with it. It's very hyped up. But what should the approach be in that manner, especially for an emerging startup in this case? Uh, should, we, should we be focusing on um, purely the offline space right now? Uh, sorry, the online space right now and then moving into the offline space later? Or should it be, uh, as you pointed out earlier, uh, an omni-channel straight from the beginning, from the, from the get-go? I think if you can have uh, omni-channel from the get-go, uh, I think you, you should do it. Like Sneaker Boy, you know, created the boutiques. And actually, it's very interesting. He says in an interview, I don't have uh, any pro People cannot actually buy from the store. Uh, which is a bit frustrating, must be, right? I mean, if you're already in the store, if you tried it, I say, okay, why, why, should, why, why cannot I walk out of the store with it? And, and he says that it, it's, uh, he did it, so the message is absolutely clear that's what they do. It's like they're an omniscient, and obviously to save space, storage space, and all that. But he could have some styles, but he doesn't have any. Um, and it's a very clear message, very powerful message, if you start from day one. So it's, it, it's, uh, your brand is known for being this omni-channel, you know, entity, and I think that's that's very that's more powerful than starting online and then eventually going offline. But obviously, you need more resources. It's more difficult to execute, um, so it's it's um, it's a tough decision. But it's a PR it's a PR exercise on its own because once you do both, and if you do both very well, and even if you concentrate on offline, just being a showroom, just where people go and see your styles, and then they, do you know, you don't even have a, you have one person serving them and just helping out, or you can do by appointment only in the beginning to make your life easier. But I think it's it's good if you can crack both because then you get the traction and the PR you get out of it. It's it's worth it. I, I, think, I guess the other option, lower cost option, is pop-up shops, which is the, all, all the rage these days. So there's lots of different options to do with pop-up shops without taking the big risk. But that's it. Thank you. Thank you to our great panel and audience.